Open your Bibles with me to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. All right, what we're looking at now is we've been in our series on Engage. Last week we began a segment called Engage Discipleship. Engage discipleship. And last week, we kind of took a big picture view of if you're going to start a discipleship ministry, if you're going to have discipleship, first of all, you need to know what is biblical Christianity. It's a good place to start. What is biblical Christianity? And then what is a New Testament church? And we looked at that last week. This week, we're going to look into some more of the nuts and bolts about what is biblical discipleship. What is biblical discipleship? So look at 2 Timothy chapter 2. In verse 2, the Bible says, And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Let's read that verse out loud together. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, help us this morning as we look at some nuts and bolts of what discipleship is. And Lord, we do understand that this is the primary function of the local church and of the New Testament believer. And so, Lord, I pray that you'll help us to have a better understanding of what our role in this is. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, we hear these words, disciple and discipleship. We we hear them used often. Look at Mark chapter 6. And I think that this verse gives us a great definition of discipleship. Mark chapter 6, look at verse 1. Mark 6, verse 1. Speaking about Christ, And he went out from thence and came into his own country, so he's back to Nazareth, and his disciples, what? Follow him. What is a discipler? A disciple, a follower of Christ. A disciple is a follower of Christ. And not only one that follows Christ, but one that follows with the intent to learn and learned with the intent to obey. Following with the intent to learn and learning with the intent to obey. You know, we all understand that we've taught our kids things, you know, clean up your room, take out the trash, don't ride your bike in the living room, you know, just all the things that we teach our kids, and yet we have to remind them over and over and over again. There's a difference between teaching your child something and having your child obey that. Discipleship is all about God, through His Word, teaching us what He wants us to know, and then us obeying that. The Bible says, you say that you believe in Him, then you ought to walk even as He walked. Discipleship is about learning how to walk the way that God wants you to walk in this world. That's what discipleship is. So let's look at this and, and, and flesh it out a little bit more. What is biblical discipleship? Well, first of all, biblical discipleship, it must begin with evangelism. It must begin with evangelism. Go to Acts chapter 20. How many of you have been through our discipleship ministry? You have been all the way through all the lessons. You finished discipleship. Would you raise your hand? Those of you who have been through it. Okay, hold those up. Now, everybody look around. This is why we're redoing this. And you can put your hands down. This is why we are re-explaining what discipleship is and renewing our emphasis on it and also rewriting our discipleship training, rewriting our discipleship lessons. Um, I'm thankful for what we have had. Hasn't it been a blessing to those of you who have been through it? It's a tremendous blessing. But as I have taught it dozens of times now, I see things that I would like to add or that I would like to change to make it fresh, to make it fit more with Grace Baptist Church. And so that's what we're doing. But what we're seeing here in our first point under what is discipleship is that discipleship must begin with evangelism. So Acts chapter 20, look at verse 17. And from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus. So this is the Apostle Paul. He sent to Ephesus... And called the elders of the church. And when they were come to him, he said unto them, Ye know, from the first day that I came into Asia, after what manner I have been with you at all seasons, serving the Lord with all humility of mind, and with many tears and temptations which befell me by the lying in wait of the Jews. 
So what is that talking about, the lying in wait of the Jews? Well, the Jews, they were very jealous of Christianity. They didn't want Christianity to take hold. They didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. And so those who had preached that Jesus was the Messiah, they wanted to stop them, and they'd stop them by physically persecuting them. So that's what Paul is talking about here. Look at verse 20. And how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you. Nothing that was profitable unto you. Will you mark that word profitable in your Bible? I'm sure many of you have already figured out what the cross-reference is to that. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. So what was Paul giving to them, the Scriptures? He was giving them the Scriptures. And how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly. All right? So teaching publicly. That's what's going on right here. Teaching publicly. So a part of discipleship is this. You know, there are some people who like that one-on-one relationship in evangelism or in discipleship, but they don't want to participate in a local church. Well, you cannot be obedient to the Great Commission without participating in a local New Testament church. The Bible says that Jesus Christ shed His blood. He gave Himself for the church. So you cannot be obedient and growing in the Lord, and you certainly cannot be a follower of Jesus Christ without participating in a local New Testament church. Amen? That's, that's very clear in the Scriptures. So publicly, in the Apostle Paul's case, he would have been standing out in a marketplace speaking publicly. All right? Here, we speak publicly with all of the people that gather together. But then look at what the next thing says. So he's have taught you publicly at the end of verse 20, And from house to house. What was he doing? He was speaking to large crowds and he was teaching individual families in their homes. Is that that clear from the text? That's what's going on, okay? Now look at what it says. What was he teaching them? Testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. What is this? It's evangelism. It's evangelism. Evangelism simply means that you are telling someone the gospel. You're giving them the gospel. Part, the gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ according to the Scriptures. How that Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. And that He was buried. And that He rose again from the dead the third day according to the Scriptures. So we have recorded in the Bible that Jesus Christ did that for us. That's the gospel. All right? How is that gospel then applied to my life? You understand that everyone who calls themselves any kind of Christian at least has a cursory agreement with the fact that Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose again. How many of you knew that before you were born again? Yeah. Most of us. I think most of us knew that. The acknowledgement of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is not enough to save you. Satan believes in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He was there. He saw the whole thing. He tried to stop it. How many of you think that stone was put there by by itself? The, The lying of the people. Everything that went into... How about Judas himself where, where Satan entered into Judas when Judas betrayed Jesus Christ. Satan believes in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Is Satan born again? No, of course not. Of course not. So how is this applied to our lives? That's what evangelism is. Evangelism is telling people how to apply that death, burial, and resurrection and what it accomplished to the life of the individual. And here in in Acts 20, 21, it tells us how. It says, "...testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks." What is testifying? Testifying, that's witnessing. That is telling what has happened to you. So if you go to court, you see an accident, and you're a witness, and you go and testify, what have you done? When you testify, you're telling what you have seen. What are we supposed to do? What did the Apostle Paul do? The Apostle Paul told both publicly and house to house what he had seen. And what is that? That Jesus Christ is the resurrected Lord and that he saved him. So he's testifying of that. And then it says this, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Repentance toward God. So here's the idea. 
This is what we do. This is what people do. We're walking one way in our lives. And we looked at it last week. The Bible says that in times past, you walked according to the course of this world. And who set out that course? The prince of the power of the air, Satan. He's the God of this world. And he has designed this course. And so what we're doing is we're walking. We think we're doing what we want to do. And yet we're walking according to the course that Satan has established. The picture that I like to paint is this. When you went to Disney World or someplace like that, you know, and you got to spend $30 for a Coke or whatever, right? You went to Disney World. And your kids got to drive the cars. And they were real excited because they could use the gas. They could use the brake. They could drive. And you could sit there and not be worried. Why? Because they had a little bit of leeway, but it was on a rail. That's the course of this world. People have a little bit of leeway. Some people move to the right. They're a little bit more conservative. Some people move to the left where anything goes. And yet they're all going according to the course of this world. And that's away from God. So if God is here, the course of this world is designed by Satan to move you away from God. I think that's pretty clear. Would you all agree with that? Repentance is this. I am going this way away from God. I'm confronted with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I, through an act of the will, turn toward God. You know what's so wonderful about that? Here, This is really cool. All right, Jake, come up here and help me. And Matt, come up here and help me. All right? So, Jacob. You're God. Cool. <laughs> We're low expectations, church. All right? Now watch this. Matt is also God. Here's the idea. You just stay right there. I am in my life. I am walking away from God. That's the course of this world. I'm confronted with the gospel of Jesus Christ through a soul winner, through a gospel track. I'm confronted with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I turn. Remember, I've been walking away from God all my life. I turn, and there's God. Thank you, guys. You can sit down. That's what the Bible says in Acts chapter 17. Uh, go to Acts 17, and I'll show you what I mean. Acts 17, verse 24. God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things, and hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth. Now look at what it says. And hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation. So God determined when and where you would be born. Why? that they should seek the Lord, if happily they might feel after Him and find Him, though He be not far from every one of us. So remember, we had God over here. The course of this world is designed to take you as far away from God as it, as it can. You're confronted with the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit knocks on your heart's door and says, that's true. You repent, you turn, and God is right there. It's not a long and winding road. Remember the Hollies? It's a long, long road. That's, that's not the way it is coming back to God. It's an immediate thing. You come, you repent, and immediately you are in the presence of God as one of His dear sons. That is awesome. All right? So, but the Bible says what Paul was preaching was repentance toward God. Repentance is that turning it's a, it's a change of mind and heart away from what I was doing and the way I was going toward God. Now, let me just say something. Um, there are people who do not believe that repentance is necessary for salvation. And their premise is that repentance is a work. No, 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 no. Repentance is a change of mind. So I have been thinking that I'm okay doing my own thing. I'm confronted with the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit pierces my heart and life with that gospel message. And I respond to that by turning. It's that same illustration that we give all the time with the pen. 
If I'm going to give Jacob this pen, what does he have to do to make it his? He has to take it. He has to take it. Receiving a gift, taking that gift, is that a work? No. No. It's, rece it's the receiving of a gift. That's what repentance is. Repentance is accomplished when the person hears the gospel and they turn toward God. That's repentance, but that's not, only sal but that's not salvation. Salvation is not the result of you turning. It's the result of you turning to God and believing in the Son that He sent. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. Repentance toward God and faith toward Jesus Christ. What about Jesus Christ do we have faith in? That He is God, that He was born of a virgin, that He lived a sinless life, that He died on the cross to pay for my sin, that He was buried, that He rose from the dead the third day, proving that He was, is, and always will be God. I have faith in that, realizing He died on the cross for me. So what is it? I'm going my own way. I hear the gospel. I'm confronted with the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit pierces my heart and soul with that. I respond and receive that free gift of eternal life. Repentance toward God, faith toward Jesus Christ. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the first step of discipleship. So my question for you today is, have you done that? I'm not asking you if, 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 you, I'm not asking you if you believe in the death, burial, and resurrection. I'm asking you if you have applied that to your life. Remember, salvation is a transaction. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. You were, you're not now. That's not a process. That's a transaction that happens in a point in time. I once was lost. Now I'm found. I've been saved. I've been born again. How many of you ladies have had, a, have had a baby? You've delivered a baby. Would you raise your hand? You've done that. All right. How many of you glad that you're glad that's not a lifelong process? Can you imagine? How many of you thought it was a lifelong process while you were going through it? Yes, yes. Dr. Rhea is here. You can all yell at him after the service. It's funny when Jacob was being delivered, it was during the Yankees and the Indians playoff game. I'm a Yankee fan. He's an Indian fan. So Dr. Rhea and I are watching the ball game. <laughs> Laura's back there. Hey, what's up? This is about me. All right, so being born again is not a process. It's a point-in-time exchange where... I give Jesus my sin, and He gives me His righteousness. Oh, man, that's a way better deal for me than it is for Him. That's why it's called grace. That's evangelism. That's the first step, the first and necessary step of discipleship. If we're going to make disciples, we've got to lead folks to Jesus Christ. All right, That's where it begins. Next, it is the process whereby one believer takes another believer and leads them to maturity in Christ. Let me say that again. Discipleship is the process whereby one believer takes another believer and leads them to maturity in Christ. Maturity in Christ. It's kind of like parenting. It's parenting. God gave us Lydia and Jacob. All right? God also gave us Riley. We never had a chance to parent Riley to maturity. The Lord took him home. Now, here's the blessing. I believe that I'll see him whole and, you know, a, a grown man in heaven. Isn't that a blessing? But I didn't get to be a part of that. But I do get to be a part of Lydia and Jacob's maturity. Okay, so Jake, come here. First of all, show everybody your socks. Unbelievable. All right, it's a big bird right here. All right, now... So here's what, here's what parenting is. It's starting with immaturity, childhood, and it's leading. Sometimes it's this. Sometimes it's this. Sometimes 
Just walk with me. Sometimes it's just this. Is that right? When's the best? It's, it's the walking. That doesn't happen until they're about this age. So now we're in the process of moving Jacob from young man to adulthood. Young man to adulthood. And it's this process. Thanks, Jake. It reminds me of my brother. You can sit down. It reminds me, my brother, um, I went out to eat with him. And I saw him do this before he started eating. And then he, he laughed about something and his tooth was gone. I said, what happened to your tooth? And his son, they call him Billy. He said, well, I went to throw Billy in the swimming pool and I found out I don't throw Billy in the swimming pool anymore. <laughs> Bench presses, I don't know, 400 pounds and all this. He picked my, my brother's a big guy, 220 pounds probably. He picked him up and threw him in the pool and he threw him so hard that my brother went to the bottom of the pool and hit his face on the bottom of the pool and knocked his tooth out. That's awesome. <laughs> I wanted to do that to him for years. Okay, <laughs> little brother. How many, how many of you are the little brother and you understand? Yeah, oh yeah. Okay, now, uh, so Billy was physically mature. But he wasn't a man yet. The Bible gives us those steps in 1 John. We're not going to take the time to go there. But in 1 John chapter 2, it talks about little children and young men and fathers. There's that process. What discipleship is... It's a believer taking another believer from wherever they are. It might be newborn babe. It might be a young man. It's a person who has been saved. They've had growth in the Lord. And yet they need to grow to the place where they are ready to teach someone else the Word of God. Ready, capable, and willing to teach someone else the Word of God. That's what discipleship is about. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. That's what discipleship is all about. It's about growing to maturity. Go to Colossians chapter 1. All right, Colossians chapter 1, look at verse 28. All right, so if you look at the end of verse 27, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, whom we, whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. You see that? That's what discipleship is. It's teaching every man and warning every man so that you can present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Now, we all know what the word perfect means in the Bible. What, what does it mean? Mature. Mature. It, it doesn't mean sinless. It means mature. And so the idea that Paul was trying to get across to the Colossians is that he was investing his life in bringing Christians to maturity by warning them, by teaching them, and then he wanted to present them to Jesus Christ. That's awesome. That's awesome. So that's what discipleship is. It's leading people to maturity. Look at uh, Colossians chapter 2. Look at verse 6. As ye have therefore received Christ, Jesus the Lord. Okay, what is the first step of discipleship? Evangelism, receiving. Isn't that interesting, the way that the verse is, is listed? It reads... As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in Him. Now, uh, let me explain this to you if you haven't heard it. Sometimes when people start reading the King James Bible and they see the these and the thous and the yees and all of that, it can be confusing. Don't let it be confusing. English doesn't have the equivalent pronouns that the Greek does, so you can understand what's going on. So what the King James translators did was they invented these words. People didn't go walking around saying, how art thou this morning? It's not the way they talked. It was, it was designed to be able to explain the, the text of the Scriptures. So here when it says, as ye have therefore received Christ, 
The wise, ye, you, that's plural. If it's a thee or a thou, that's singular. All right, so he's writing to all the believers at the church in Colossae. And look at what it says. As ye have therefore received the Lord Jesus Christ. If he said, as you have therefore received, I'm sorry, if, if as thee, well, let me read it, as thee, if he had said it that way, he'd only be talking to one individual. Here he's talking to all of those who have received Christ. All right, so now look at what it says. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. So here's the, the, the discipleship process. Look at what it says. You begin by receiving Christ, then you learn to walk in Him. What is that? Following Christ. Then you're rooted and built up. Rooted. You're not going anywhere. You're rooted. You're grounded. And then you're built up. Strong. Strong. It's fun watching these young men grow, get big. We had Luke Hickman over at the house, and I think that God gave him too much growth. <laughs> He's big. It's fun, well, you know, Jacob, getting big and strong, working out. And, you know, the young guys like to show their muscles, you know, as they're, as they're growing. Me too. I'm really getting. But it, it, it's so interesting to watch the, these young men grow and, and get stronger. It, it's, you dads, don't you all love that? It's a, it's a cool thing to see. That's what we want to do with our disciples. We want our disciples to be rooted to be grounded, to be built up. What does the Bible say in the book of Ephesians? Be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. That's what we want. That's the object. That's the goal of discipleship. It is leading people to maturity. And then when a person is really mature, look at the end of verse 7, abounding therein with thanksgiving. You know a person is a mature believer when they're thankful. How many of you know people who've been in church for a long time and grumble a lot? doesn't matter how long you've been in church. That doesn't mean that you're a mature believer. It's not longevity. It's growth in the Lord. Growth in the Lord. All right, so what is biblical discipleship? It begins with evangelism. Then it's the process whereby one believer takes another believer and leads them to maturity in Christ. And then the Bible calls it the work of the Lord. The Bible calls it the work of the Lord. Go to John chapter 4. So remember what's going on in John 4. Jesus has, his, his men went to get something to eat. Jesus waited by the well, and he leads a lady to himself, the woman at the well. All right, verse 31. John 4, verse 31. In the meanwhile, his disciples prayed him, saying, Master, eat. But he said unto them, I have meat to eat that ye know not of. Therefore said his disciples one to another, Hath any man brought him aught to eat? Jesus saith unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. All right? So Jesus Christ wanted to do the will of God and he wanted to finish his work. That's the work that God had given him to do. God the Father had given him to do on this earth. Do you all see that? So it says he wants to finish his work. Most people, if you ask them, what is the work of the Lord? What is the work that the Lord finished? They would take you to John 19. Let's look at it. John 19, verse 29. Now there was set a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled a sponge with vinegar and put it upon hyssop and put it to his mouth. So remember, Jesus Christ is on the cross. He said, I thirst. So they took a sponge and they dipped it in vinegar and put it on the end of a pole and they put it up to his mouth. How cruel is that? Somebody's thirsty and you give them vinegar. Look what the verse says, verse 30. When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. All right? He said, it is finished. I think most people would say, if you asked them, what is the work that Jesus finished? They would say, this is where he had finished it. It was the work of redemption on the cross. 
But that's not what's being spoken of here. He had finished the work of redemption. He, he had done everything he needed to do to pay for our sin. Isn't that a blessing? That's what had happened right there. Right there, you could write next to that, you could write, I'm free. I'm free. Jesus had paid my penalty. Anybody here have a mortgage? How would you like somebody to pay your mortgage for you? I was going to pay one. None of you raised your hand. That's it. You've lost the opportunity for that. Wouldn't you love somebody to pay off your mortgage? Wouldn't that be cool? Would you say, free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty, I'm free at last. No more mortgage. This is something so much better than that. I'm free from sin. That's not the work that Jesus is talking about. You know how we know? Go back to John 17 and verse 4. Now, I'm going to ask you a really technical question. Does John 17 come before or after John 19? How many of you are confused? I'll ask you again. Does, does John 17 come before or after John 19? Before. All right, look at what he says. Verse 4, John 17, 4. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished what? The work which thou gavest me to do. He had finished his work. What is the work that the Lord had finished? Look at, let's read on in the text. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. So Jesus, he, he, he didn't end at Calvary. He didn't begin at Bethlehem. Is that right? He had glory with the Father before the world was. I have manifested thy name unto men. That's evangelism. Which thou gave me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest them me, and they have kept thy word. Now, they have known that all things whatsoever thou hast given me are of thee. I, for I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me, and the things which thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men. What did he give them? The words of God. Isn't that interesting? That's what he gave them. For I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me. Uh, hold your place right there. Hold your place in John 17. Rip out one of your maps and put it there, whatever you need to do. Go back to uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. I want you to see the consistency of the language in the Bible so you're sure that, that, this is, that we're teaching this properly. 2 Timothy 2.2. 2. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, something similar commit thou to faithful men. What's it say? The same. Commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. All right? And the things. What things? Look at chapter 1, verse 13. Hold forth or hold fast the form of sound words which thou hast heard of me in faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. So what are they giving them? The, the things that I've given you. What is that? Sound words. So my job in discipleship is to take these words and give them to the person that I'm discipling. That's what discipleship is. Look at what Jesus did. Go back to John 17. He had finished his work. John 17, 8. For I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came out from thee, and they have believed that thou didst send me. Now look at what he says. I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine, and all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world. I come to thee. Holy Father, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me I have kept, and none of them is lost but the son of perdition, that's Judas, that the scripture might be fulfilled. And now I come to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Now look at what it says, verse 14. I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. 
Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. What is this? Jesus Christ had finished the work of preparing his disciples to minister the word. His men were ready to do it without him physically present. Now, you understand what I mean by him not being physically present. He ascended to heaven, and who did he send? The Holy Spirit. God doesn't expect the work to be done without the help of God, right? But what my job is, my job is, I discipled Nick, one of my failures, okay? I discipled Nick. My job with Nick is to disciple him and prepare him to be able to teach Chad without me present. That's what discipleship is. That's what discipleship is. And just so you know, that's what's going on. That's what's happening. That's what discipleship is about. That is the work of the Lord. The work that... the I like this definition. Mark Trotter said this. The work of the Lord is the work that the Lord was doing when He was here on earth working. That's deep, isn't it? Let me say that again. The work of the Lord is the work that the Lord was doing when He was here on earth working. That's what we are supposed to do. The work of the Lord. Do you know the Bible says that one day you and I will stand before God and we're going to give an account to Him and we're going to be judged for our work of what sort it is. And what have you built on? Your foundation, is it wood, hay, stubble, or is it gold, silver, precious stones? Every saved person will stand before the Lord and give an account for their work. Do you know what those who are not saved give an account for? Their works. Their works. Look at Revelation chapter 20. Verse 11. And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books, according to their, what? Works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and the death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged every man according to their, what? Works. According to their works. Go to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. First Corinthians chapter three. The Bible says in verse eleven, for other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's what? Work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. All right, so what is this talking about? This is the judgment seat of Christ. Isn't it a blessing that at the judgment seat of Christ? That's for saved people. The penalty is not hell there. Why? Because you're saved. You're saved. But what are you going to do? You're either going to get a reward or you're not going to get a reward. What do we do with the rewards that we get? We take them and we lay them at Jesus' feet. Have you ever not been able to give a Christmas present to someone that you love and you wanted to? I remember one time my dad was starting the church there in New York and uh, they didn't have, no, it was a Connecticut, and they just didn't have any money. And so I opened this box for Christmas and there was a little piece of paper in there and it says, this entitles you to one bike. And they were hoping to get me a bike sometime in that year, but they couldn't afford to get it for me. How do you think they felt? Now imagine 
And that my parents loved me. I know that's surprising, but my parents loved me. And so they wanted to give me a gift. Imagine standing before Jesus Christ, your Redeemer, and you're seeing Him face to face. And people are bowing before Him and worshiping Him. And they're laying gifts at His feet. And you're standing there with nothing. How would that happen if you hadn't done any work for the Lord or if the work you were doing was not according to God's plan for that work? He's going to judge it. He's going to judge it. This is why discipleship is so important. That's why this next verse becomes so clear. Okay, 1 Corinthians 15, and look at verse 58. I think most of us know this verse. But now we'll understand it better in the context of the work of the Lord. 1 Corinthians 15, look at verse 58. Therefore, my, belo- my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable. Doesn't that sound right there? Doesn't that sound like being established, rooted and built up in the faith like in Colossians? Doesn't that sound like the same thing? All right. Steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your... What's the next word? Labor is not in vain in the Lord. Here's the reason why most churches and most believers don't get involved in discipleship. Because it's labor. It's work. And most of us have ordered our lives in such a way that there's not enough time to do the work of the Lord. So let me just ask you a simple question. How many of you think that God wants you to order your life in such a way that you don't have time to do the work of the Lord? How many of you think God wants you to do that? So who are you following if you have ordered your life in such a way that you don't have time to do the Lord's work? What are you doing? You're still walking according to the course of this world. I'm not saying you're lost. Remember we looked last week that it's possible for a believer to walk the same way that Gentiles do in the vanity of their mind. What's that? That's emptiness. Your life is supposed to have a purpose, and your purpose in life is the purpose that Jesus Christ gave you when He saved you, and that is to build someone else up in the Word of God. Before that can happen, you have to be built up in the Word of God. Before that can happen, you've got to give God your time. You've got to allow that to happen. And I'm not being flippant about it. I understand that you all work hard. You invest in your families. You try to invest in your homes. You are doing everything you can to be a good citizen and a good representative of Jesus Christ. I know that that is your heart. Your intention is not. You don't walk out of work out, out of your house that day and say, I'm going to take some extra hours so that I can't disciple. I, that, I don't think there's anyone here who is doing that. But what is our enemy? The world, the flesh, and the devil. Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, the pride of life. All of us, when we uh, are confronted with what God wants us to do, what are we going to have to do? Look at Hebrews chapter 12. Verse 1, Hebrews 12, verse 1. Wherefore, seeing we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, and what is that? That's all of those who have been identified in Hebrews 11. Let us lay aside every, what? Wait. And the sin which doth so easily beset us. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. You know, when I, um, I used to run track, I would use ankle weights, and I'd go out and I'd run in ankle weights. And the purpose of the ankle weights was to help you to run better when you took them off. Kind of reminds me of the guy just hitting himself in the head with a stick. Somebody said, why are you doing that? He said, because it feels so good when I stop. <laughs> That's kind of the way that ankle weights are. You put these things on, it's painful, it hurts. Some people will run with a pack. And you do that so that when you have to run without it, you can run better. Some of us have put weights in our lives and they've, they've been good to build us to a certain point in our lives, but we need to set them aside so that we can run for Jesus, so that we can do that. Look at the next verse. 
looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be wearied and faint in your own minds. Look, we have work to do. Go back to that Colossians chapter 1. I'll show you something. Discipleship is the process whereby one believer takes another believer and leads him to maturity. Colossians chapter 1. Look at verse 28 again. Whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom, that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Whereunto I also, what? Labor. Striving according to His working, which worketh in me mightily. So what is he saying? Paul is laboring to bring people to this maturity, perfection in Christ. He's laboring to do that. Why? Because Christ is doing that in him. So what are we doing? Christ was working in him. He was doing the work of the Lord for these people. What are we supposed to do? We're supposed to allow Christ to do a work in us so that we're willing to be taught so that we can then teach. What is biblical discipleship? We've seen that. Who's to be involved in biblical discipleship? Look at Colossians 1, 28. Whom we preach, warning, what's it say? Every man. And teaching, what? Every man. That we may present, what's it say? What is repetition in the Bible? God's volume control. Who's supposed to be involved in discipleship? Every man. Every man. Have you been discipled? Are you dis have you been trained to disciple someone else? That's the discipleship ministry at Grace Baptist Church. It's so important that we get this grounded in our lives, that we are willing to do what God wants us to do. There's so much more to it. Uh, we may look at some more things next Sunday morning. But what I want you to see very clearly is what discipleship is and who is supposed to be involved in it. How does it work? Well, it requires numerical limitation. All right, I've heard pastors say, I disciple from the pulpit. The, the guy that I heard say that had a church of, uh, he'd have about 23,000 people in church every Sunday. I disciple from the pulpit. Um, I like to ask people this question. Um, how would you, I'll ask you, here, here, come up here, Chad. Chad teaches one of our Sunday school classes. All right, Chad, how would you compare your teaching ability, compare your teaching ability, to that of Jesus Christ. How do you compare? Is that the best answer you've got? That's all that you've got? Yeah. Okay, good. <laughs> How do you answer that question? You, what? Jesus Christ worked with 12 guys and primarily invested in three. We looked at how Paul, he labored publicly. That's this but also from house to house. And then he told Timothy to take the things that he had learned, those sound words, and to commit them to other faithful men who will be able to teach. And so what happens then? You start reproducing reproducers. That's what discipleship is about. Discipleship is not about building Grace Baptist Church. It will do that. But that's not what it's about. It's about being obedient to what Christ has called us to do and influencing the world for Jesus Christ. It's preparing you to be a better testimony out in the world, to have an answer, to be ready with an answer to anyone that asks a reason of the hope that's in you in meekness and fear. It's to help you be ready. That's what discipleship is about. Jesus Christ had 12, invested primarily in three. One's about all we can handle. That's why we call it one-on-one -on -one biblical discipleship. We put a man who's been trained with a man... We put a lady who's been trained with another lady. And you grow together in the Lord. And I think those of you who have been disciplers, that's what we call the teacher in the relationship. Those of you who have been disciplers, I know that your walk with the Lord is better when you're discipling. That's what accountability does. 
That's what our discipleship ministry is about. We're going to be talking about it next Sunday night. We're going to begin our discipleship training. That's for those who have already been through the discipleship ministry. Um, If you have not yet been trained, you're going to come in. If you have been trained, you're going to come in. If you have not been through discipleship yet, that training's not for you. Pastor Nathan will be in the auditorium here teaching you. We'll be down in the fellowship hall. It's so important that we get this. This is the heart of Grace Baptist Church. This is, this is the idea of preparing people for the work of the Lord. What a great opportunity we have. Isn't that awesome? That's what biblical discipleship is. Where are you in this process? Have you been saved? Have you received Jesus Christ as your Savior? Have you been discipled by someone here at Grace Baptist? If you haven't, that needs to happen. If you have been discipled, have you been trained to disciple someone else? If you've been trained to disciple someone else, are you discipling someone? Where are you in this process? I think the Lord has found us all somewhere in this. Amen? Let's look at one last verse and we'll be done. 1 Corinthians 1.10. 1 I like verse 9. Let's read that too. God is faithful by whom you were called unto the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing. Okay? And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men. Is that what the Bible says? Okay, here we are again. Now beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. How's that going to happen? It's going to happen when we're all speaking the same thing. How does that happen? When we've all been trained to speak the same thing, and then we're speaking it. That's discipleship. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, so much for your word. Thank you for Grace Baptist Church. What a wonderful place to minister.